and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we explore the end of Title 42, and that is the statute in effect during the COVID-19 pandemic that allowed border agents to quickly return migrants over the southern border. So we're going to talk about what that means today. We're also going to discuss the latest data on the border, the current reaction from governors and members of Congress, and the policies that can help protect our borders, offer opportunity, reward hard work and merit, and honor the rule of law. And the person who's going to break it all down for us is Anna Giaratelli. Anna Giaratelli joined the Washington Examiner in 2015, and she focuses on homeland security, immigration, and border issues. Anna has traveled to the border on more than 40 occasions since 2018 and has covered human smuggling, the evolution of the war on drugs, domestic terrorism, and migration trends. She is currently based in Austin, Texas. And Anna, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Beverly, thank you so much. And before I get into my first question, I do want to let our listeners and watchers know that IWF is both pro-immigration and pro-border security. We think it's a false choice that you have to choose one over the other. But we also want to let people know that we do have a petition that you can sign if you want safe borders. If you think the Biden administration should act now in security under our border, please go to IWF.org and sign the Safe Borders Petition. Now, Anna, to you, I one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this episode so today is because you were on the border, you cover this issue from the border. Can you tell us about your experience in doing so? Yeah. And, and you know, I think a really unique perspective too is being a woman on the border um, brings a whole different um, view of things, right? So um, I've been covering the border since about 2018. This is year six now, over 50 trips down to the southern border, Puerto Rico, California you know, both different coasts and the Canadian border as well. Um, and, and really the biggest takeaway in that time is I think the demoralization of border patrol. Uh, there's 19,000 agents nationwide. Most of them are based on the southern border. And um, we, what we've seen the last two years with President Joe Biden in office, um, I mean, it's, it's objectively, factively, factually true more people attempting to cross over the border from Mexico than any time in Border Patrol's 99-year history. And so that's sort of where we're at two years in. Nothing's changed under President Biden for the most part. Um, and that's that's the situation that I'm seeing every time I go down the last two years. And I'm glad you brought up the Border Patrol because we got news recently that U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz is set to retire at the end of June. He seems to be tying that to the end of Title 42, I guess, seeing that through. What do you make of the significance of this, if any? Yeah, so I actually broke the story last night. He announced yesterday in a call with some senior officials in Washington um, so Raul Ortiz has been in the job a little less than two years. He's a 32-year Border Patrol agent, which is the longest I've ever heard of. Normally, it's about 25 is, is when you're going to get kicked out uh, for retirement. Um, he did. One of the things he wanted to do internally, he was telling people, was make it through Title 42, uh, this policy that's been on the books for three years uh, under COVID. And, um, and coming out on the other side now, you know, we used to see Border Patrol chiefs it's a non-political position unlike the secretary of homeland security uh biden doesn't pick the chief it's actually the secretary of dhs who taps the person for the job uh, we used to see them last four a little more than that years and now you know we saw rodney scott for a year and a half or so the previous chief um and raul ortiz the current chief he's gonna have been in there for 22 months when he retires so we are you know we're we're 
transitioning into an, under a new leader, um, just talking with agents every single day, uh, even weekends. Um, you know, I haven't met a single agent who's happy with how he performed. They viewed Ortiz as not uh, standing up for them and the job they they believe they're supposed to be carrying out at the border, um, more so catching and releasing people into the country than um, catching and removing people. Um, and that's due to a whole number uh, of issues. But they're, um, the messages I've been getting overnight from agents is they're very happy that Royal Ortiz is retiring. Of course, that opens them up to who is going to be the next chief. And it doesn't have to be a border patrol official. It could be wow. totally random person. So I was hoping you could take us through that process of what Border Patrol agents experience on a day-to-day basis. You just mentioned it there. It's what they had done under Title 42 is hopefully um, capture and then send back to where they came from. But you're talking about capturing and releasing into the country. How do they determine who they release? What are the certain policies in place that force them to make certain decisions? Yeah, that's that's a million-dollar question. I would need a whiteboard to get through everything. But and in simple terms, um, it depends a lot about who you're coming with. If you're an adult or a child, if you're coming with a family member, uh, what country you're coming from, what the circumstances are, if you get caught or not. Um, at this point, under Title 42, which is the pandemic policy, it was the CDC saying to Border Patrol, hey, we're giving you permission and we recommend you don't take anybody who crosses the border into custody because it could lead to the spread of coronavirus further in our you know, federal facilities. So Border Patrol, instead of you know, apprehending him on the border, I see you crossing, taking you into custody, and I'm taking you to a station to be processed and such, um, they were able to literally take someone into the, in their vehicle, go back to a port of entry where you or I would drive across and say, okay, you're going back to Mexico. Uh, and so what we're seeing now is every person who crosses, for the most part, is having to be taken into custody. That means the facilities we have where people are supposed to be in and out in 72 hours, um, they're overwhelmed with people coming into custody. And for, say, a Guatemalan woman um, who's crossing by herself, who's adult, um, she's probably going to be returned on a flight back to Guatemala. Uh, the biggest change we've seen over the last few years since COVID uh, sort of has been going on and ended um, is people from all over the world. We've always seen people from all over the world crossing the border. Republicans are always very quick to say, you know, people are crossing from 150 plus countries now. We're just seeing that now at a much higher rate. So whereas you might have seen 100 Chinese in one month, uh, 10 years ago, we're seeing you know, 100 Chinese in just one area, and there's other areas that they're crossing. So how many do you really think are true asylum seekers percentage-wise? By anecdotal experience, I would say not many. Um, when I, when I, you know, and then generically, I always, I always have to explain to people there's so many different legal terms for people coming across the border. Um, you know, Legally speaking, a legal alien is the term. An alien refers to someone who's outside the country and how they might be getting in. Immigrant is a legal term that refers to someone who's going through a legal process to get here. Um, and, but you know, now we typically refer to people coming into the country as undocumented, illegal, unauthorized, those sort of things. Um, 
And out of curiosity, what is the likelihood, let's say, uh, somebody coming from China, let's say, what is the likelihood they are going to be released into the country? Is it a pretty sure bet for them? Yeah, it it depends on a lot of different things. And every part of the border operates by slightly different um, protocol, right? So the chief of, say, the um, Rio Grande Valley in South Texas might say, you know, we're, we don't have the means to be as nitpicky as we want to be because we have so many people coming into custody. We need to release people. And so um, they might be slightly less stringent than, say, over in Tucson, Arizona, where they have more manpower, um, more time. Everybody is getting vetted. And so if you do have a, a terrorist, um, a national security background, you're a convicted criminal in the U.S., that is going to come up. Um but we don't know criminal records for people outside the U.S. So for one of the things that Republicans have been concerned about is people coming from Venezuela in record high numbers. You know, how do we know these people who are covered in tattoos? Um, a lot of young men are not gang affiliated down there. And, and we have no way of knowing here because they've never been in the country before. Um, but we are seeing more Chinese. And again, we, you know, a lot of them are because those COVID travel restrictions have gone down over the past year in China, people are finally able to leave. And a lot of people in China want to leave and want to seek refuge somewhere else. So it's very difficult for the government to be able to, you know, discern, is this a legitimate person seeking asylum or is this someone who's trying to get in and is, is coming on behalf of the CCP? And you, you talk about everybody being vetted who goes through these, these border checks. What is the process like once they've been released into the country? How often is there a check with somebody in law enforcement, et cetera, to make sure that they're following whatever rules have been laid out for them? Yeah. Um, You know, I just want to say in everything I'm saying, it's like the watered down version because this is such a, just just an incredible process. There is no one, um, way that everything happens and that's part of the chaos of it all in new york for example we're seeing people wait 10 years so crossing the border illegally i'm getting released by border patrol they're typically releasing to nonprofits, churches that work with migrants rather than onto the street directly they're saying here we're dropping you off the church will help you make arrangements they're not necessarily paying for your travel but they're helping you figure out i have family in new york let me go there um and then people are, are being released in New York. You're waiting 10 years before you appear in an immigration court before a judge should talk about why you crossed illegally. 10 years? 10 years. We're seeing an average right now of five to 10 years of immigration courts nationwide. There's 2 million courts, uh, 2 million cases pending before uh, 600 judges nationwide right now. And the Biden administration has been able to hire more judges and cut back down on that a little bit. Um, but it's just an endless addition to those dockets. Um, and, and technically anybody who's not, you have any time in that process to seek asylum. So wow. you don't need to come across the border and say, I'm seeking asylum. And I would say most people who do cross the border and are released into the United States have not sought asylum. Um, but at any point in that process, they're allowed to. And anecdotally, as I was saying earlier, most of the people I speak with migrants on the border I asked them, you know, are, are you seeking asylum? And to one woman uh, who went to Atlanta, she, she just said, I don't need to. And I said, you know, what do you mean? She said, I, I, 
and like you're not going to come for me and I was a really that was pretty telling yeah well, you, you also talked to earlier about the Border Patrol agents having low morale. I think I've even seen some really horrific statistics about high suicide rates for those who are Border Patrol. Tell me, when you talk to them, what do you hear from them? Is, do they feel that like, President Biden is doing anything to help them? Yeah, so, and, here, and here's why, right? The laws haven't changed. It's how they're enforcing them. So their view is... All these agents, 19,000 nationwide, um, should be out on the border doing their jobs, looking for people, taking them into custody and delivering. It's not their consequence to deliver, but ensuring, you know, they're in the line to, to see justice. Um, because we've had uh, over one and a half million people caught and then released into the United States, their view is that they're not fulfilling their job to protect the country. Because on top of those one and a half million who got released, there's also a thing called gotaways. So that's the people that are observed on cameras, infrared cameras, um, sensors, all different types of technology on the border. So they know for sure there are six people, you know, on this camera we see crossing. We don't have a guy out there or a woman to go apprehend them. And so they're just going to disappear, disappear into the community and then go on from wherever they want in the country. Um, and so agents are, I would say early on in the Biden administration, when the numbers spiked to from 60,000 people apprehended in a month at the Southern border to over 150,000 in a month, um, it, they were really upset. They were demoralized. Um, we've entered the last year or so kind of a zombie phase um, and I, a lot of times I don't know how to describe it because they're just, one agent said, and this, this I think encapsulates it, I just feel dead inside. They mm. don't feel like they're doing anything. They don't want to be thanked for their service because they're thinking, yeah, but we're letting all these other people just into the country. Yeah. Um, we don't know who's getting away. And so they can't just quit. It's not like you or I, if we wanted to quit our jobs, we could walk out tomorrow if we wanted. Probably not get a recommendation. Um, they're federal agents. They can't just quit. And so a lot of them are just struggling to get through. And, and like you said, suicides are at very high rates right now. And it's got to be so discouraging to not see the end in sight. And and I wanted to talk, talk about where things are, especially with the end of Title 42. Are we expecting there to be more crossings now because of that? You know, that was Republicans have been adamant for, for two years that we got to end or we got to continue Title 42 because in their mind it was we can immediately expel people instead of bringing them into custody. Um, I Personally, I'll share my view from a factual perspective. Title 42 allowed you to return people immediately, right? But it, there's no consequence, which means you can keep trying to enter the U.S. again and again and again. And we saw a high recidivism, the same person getting caught, sent back. Next day, tried again, caught by a different agent, tried again. Oh, they didn't get caught this time. They must have made it into the U.S. And so the issue with Title 42 was you didn't have a way to deter people from crossing. There was no, why wouldn't you try again? Um, with Title 42 ending, Republicans had, and even Democrats had worried, we're gonna see the surge of people that's been waiting to come into the country since before COVID. It never unfounded, like why would you wait when you could come now? Um, 
what we actually saw was Title 42 ended on May 11th. In the lead up, we were seeing 11,000 people per day apprehended at the border. Uh, for context, under the Obama administration, uh, one of his top officials at DHS had said a thousand apprehensions a day was a bad day. So 11,000, I think, really puts that into perspective. Since Title 42 ended, we've seen 11,000 a day drop to 3,000 people a day. Oh. It's actually the lowest numbers since Biden took office. And so DHS at this point is waiting to see, okay, we had this big rush before it ended. And maybe now that we're saying, hey, if you get caught, we're sending you back to your country. There's not a good chance you're going to get released into the United States. We have these other lawful pathways to come instead of crossing illegally. Maybe it is actually working. And I think Republicans are also just waiting to see, oh, like you've the impeach Mayorkas, um, you're not hearing that the last few weeks. It's because like, oh, this actually might be working as Biden reinstates, including some Trump policies that he had ended initially. So it's a, it's a wait and see right now. And I know that some governors in certain states have spoken up and have wanted to help out. You had on Tuesday of this week, Governor Kim Reynolds announced that about 100 Iowa National Guard troops and 30 public safety officers were going to be sent to the border. On Wednesday of this week, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin announced the state is sending National Guard troops to the southern border. We've seen, of course, um, governors and border states take some action as well. Do you feel that states do you need to take um, control of this on their own because they don't think the Biden administration is doing enough? Yeah, I think Texas was the big, uh, big one to watch. They, they take up more than half of the border, 2,000 miles. They're on 1,250 miles of it. They've seen the most people crossing. And Republican Governor Greg Abbott, he's in his third term now, he declared this Operation Lone Star, sent over 10,000 National Guard soldiers and state police and and uh, pay for some local police also to shift from their normal duties down to the border uh, and be on the highways to look for people, human smuggling, which they've seen thousands and thousands of cars pulled over uh, for that. Um, they've arrested more than 370,000 people who got past Border Patrol and were were detained temporarily, temporarily by National Guard. They can't make the arrest and then were transferred over to state police and Border Patrol. Um, so I think for Texas, they've needed so much help. They've had they had a few more states helping out with police and National Guard in 2021, but those states initially pulled all their sources resources back because they said we can't continue to fund this indefinitely. Um, now that states are, Abbott asked last week for more states to send send their resources back in and help them. It's interesting because we're seeing those border apprehensions decline, and yet Texas is saying we need more help. Um, so it's I'm not really sure what's going on there, what the thought is happening now. Abbott um, was pushed to declare a invasion. It's a legal uh, procedure in which he could take a lot bolder action, um, and he has, has said he doesn't think it's right legally that we're not upon that. Um, and so some Republicans from the further right have been really frustrated with Abbott's approach and he's not doing enough. And I'm just kind of curious from you, you, you talk about we have laws on the books, it's whether or not they're being enforced. What do you think are the best policies that we do have to help secure our border and also to help getaways from coming in? So 
So if you are being apprehended at the border, you need to get before an immigration judge. The system, when we talk about, oh, the system's broken. I mean, everybody says it's broken, but ask someone the next time, uh, not you, but in general, ask lawmakers what is broken about the system. They don't seem to know. Um, I would say the system, what it does well is you're supposed to appear before a judge. Um, that judge is going to say, okay, you don't have a reason to be here, so we're going to put you on a plane back to X country. Um, we only have so many judges, we don't have a way for everybody in custody to immediately go before judge. Some of the things that make that difficult are court ruling in 2015 that children can't be detained um, more than 20 days at any point by the government. And so every, that's why we saw under Obama and again under Trump and now, so many families crossing because if you have a child, they're not going to hold you. They have to release you in 20 days. Um, and then eventually you're going you're gonna to go to court. So this, I just want to jump in here. So that would be the kids with cages narrative that we heard for a while, which is why they set that limit. Is that correct? Uh, so kids with cages was more so one facility, um, just random facility that went up under Obama that instead of, you know, physical walls inside for rooms, they had chain fences. Um, and so it was lawmakers touring that facility who saw that and said there's kids being held in cages and, um, but in general, kids get released out of Border Patrol custody if they're by themselves and sent to the Department of Health and Human Services, who will then hold them for about a month because they're allowed to hold for over 20 days and then release it to a, 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 the child to an adult sponsor in the country. Um, I think the system is, it works. It just can't handle this capacity. We didn't yeah. see people beyond Mexico really coming to the country when these laws were made decades ago. We didn't see people beyond Central America coming or people who weren't just, you know, adult men. And so it just flexes the system. And um, it's, 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 it's weird because it won't ever break, but it is already broken. That makes yeah. sense. And, and it sounds like what the main thing that's broken about is there's no way to withstand all the people that are coming here from a logistical standpoint and getting them through the court system. So they just basically buy time and end mm -hmm. up staying here regardless. And I want to talk to you about some of the people that you've you've spoken to that have crossed the border. We have, of course, have heard horrible reports about women and girls um, being sexually assaulted. Of course, there's crime as far as you have people helping them come over here. What do so many of these people go through in order to come to our border? Is it usually pretty scary and fraught with issues? Yeah. If you're, if you're, even if you're a man making a journey to the United States um, from any country, if you're involved with the cartels or doing it on your own, which is extremely rare, um, you've, you've, you're putting yourself through hell. Uh, it's something that Americans, frankly, say 99% can't imagine. Um, I would never subject myself to it uh, just because of what I've heard is so no matter where you're coming from, the risk you open yourself up to, it's just the cartels throughout Mexico, even if you're not, you know, with them being smuggled, the Mexican government, immigration officials, they, there's so much extortion involved throughout the entire process coming through. Um, women and girls, you know, we, we always hear it in congressional testimony and hearings on the Hill. Um, girls are put on birth control if, if they're double digits in age, 10 years or up. Um, just to be safe. And it's, 
sort of an expected thing that something's going to happen. Um, there's there's a lot of shelters in El Paso, or I should say El Paso, in Juarez, which is the Mexican city over the border from El Paso, where women can have abortions, um, even girls can have abortions if something's they've been raped on their journey north. Um, there's some pro-life ones. There's one pro-life one I'm aware of, um, and most of them are, are just shelters that deal with medical treatments to to abort babies. Um, yeah, it is, it is very real. It's hard to put into words, um, like truly the unimaginable circumstances that they're very unique, but then they're very, it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day. And what has it meant for border communities? Now, of course, we know that you have people who cross the border and are sent all over the country. It's not just in border cities that they go to or border states. What has this meant, though, for Texas and New Mexico and Arizona, for example, um, for so many people to be crossing into their state? Yeah. So uh, for Texas in particular, um, you know, South Padre Island, probably heard of it. It's by Brownsville. Rio Grande Valley, that's a pretty populated area, about a million people in that little hundred mile region of Texas. Um, so they have better resources. They have Catholic Charities, a very large organization that takes in migrants, kind of helps them get settled. Here's some food, here's some room for the night, and then you're on your way to New York City or wherever you want to go tomorrow. Um, for other communities like Eagle Pass, Del Rio, places you've never heard of except for you know, a reference to uh, the horse scandal, maybe. Um, those cities like Eagle Pass, there's no Greyhound bus to get the hour and a half, two hour drive to San Antonio, the next largest city. There's no airport in Eagle Pass. And so for migrants over the past two years, Eagle Pass was seeing over a thousand people release into the city every day at some points. And so there's only one NGO nonprofit organization there um and so they're supposed to be helping people in the community and they had to shift to we're just going to help migrants um and so you know you hear people in the community saying oh there's people walking in the streets living on the streets just roaming it's chaos and you know you're, is that really true it is true um it doesn't mean people are out there robbing others you know there's certainly when there's people in desperate situations, some of them are going to take whatever means necessary. But the biggest issue in states like Texas and Arizona with the most people crossing illegally have seen are we have all these people, Eagle Pass is 30,000 residents, a thousand coming in every day. So you're seeing that town population every month come in. How do you get them to San Antonio? And so with the busing initiative that Arizona and Texas have put forth, that's allowing people say, hey, you have a sister and I keep going to New York, but say New York, you want to get there, you could have your sister buy you a bus ticket for you to get there um, from San Antonio and you find a way to get to San Antonio. Or we have this free bus where we'll get you and whoever wants to go to New York, you don't have to worry about paying. And it just alleviates some of the pressure um, every time I fly out of San Antonio, even Austin Airport, Houston, Dallas, all these different actual border cities, obviously Dallas isn't on the border. Um, my planes have migrants all over the place. Uh, people from all over the world who have been released, who are catching departing flights, going to destinations across the country. And so that also has put a strain on the airlines because they don't want to send a plane, um, 
from New York down to, say, McAllen, Texas, if there's no one who wants to go there, but there's a whole plane ride who want to go the opposite direction. So it's a number of different issues, but particularly with with the public and private bus systems. And so just to wrap this up, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I do feel like there's an overwhelming sense of from the Border Patrol agents to maybe even you as a reporter covering this, just a lot of despair. Like, seems like there's not a lot of hope. It's a bad situation. It doesn't look like it's going to be fixed very soon. Do you personally feel that way as you're reporting that it's just a very sad thing? And of course, there are going to be major consequences potentially of getaways coming in. We didn't even talk about drugs today, um, the, the drug battle. What is your morale like covering this? You know, no one's asked me that. Um, <laughs> um, and in this setting, I, I would, I would be comfortable answering. Um, it's been really hard, frankly. Um, I've looked at leaving the media. I've looked at leaving this beat. I've covered it for five years, and you know, it sort of ebbs and flows um, emotionally and mentally. It's, it's been very difficult at times. Uh, not just you know for a moment or a day, but periods of time where, you know, when the guys you talk to every single day are, I mean, they're really, really down. I, I had a guy I know I commit suicide in Arizona. And, you know, you think, am I becoming dead inside? I'm seeing this every day. Not just from Border Patrol, but hearing migrant stories. There's a couple I talk to still multiple times a week. They came from Russia. They actually sought asylum at the border. Their journey here is incredible. They brought their dog and their dog got taken from them and they got put in ice custody for a month. They reached out to me on Instagram and said, can you help us find our dog who just got out of custody? And that was an incredible story. I talked to them. They've, they've been living in, um, I'm not going to say a part of the country, but for a year now. I still talk to them all the time. Um, and so it's, it's also that side of things. It's seeing the deprivation um, you know, my, my friend still says I cry almost every night because I'm never going to see my family again in Russia. Um, and then it's also people who, you know, 16-year-old girl here in Austin who decided to take a couple thousand bucks to smuggle people from um, the border into, I believe it was San Antonio, and crashed and died. Had 11 people hidden in her vehicle. Um, it, it's the good and the bad. It's seeing it thinking, like, where is the end? And and thinking, do lawmakers really understand? It's hard enough for me to explain the complexity of it all, right? Right. Um, so how do the people who are making our laws fully, can they understand this? You know, can they actually put something forward that makes a dent in any of this? And, you know, where is the end? Yeah. Um, and, and to wrap that up, I spoke with a CBP spokesman when I was in El Paso a couple of weeks ago. And course what we say we don't um share but he's he did say to me at one point um he had served overseas and he said you know there was a point in my in my my tour where it felt like this thing was never going to end not my tour but like the war that we were fighting and he said you know regardless of what you're in for these agents it will end um there will be better processes the numbers will go down um you know there is an end in sight but um, but it's hard to to keep that in mind. So, um, yeah, for the people who do the work covering it, um, 
the media is a very, it's a, it's a beast. It is. But, um, yeah, but my job, you know, is to be, if everybody hates me, I'm doing my job at the end of the day, right? <laughs> right. And uh, I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the, the undercurrent of all of this is we need to have good laws that are enforced well at the border. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. That at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And, and that's why I want to let our listeners know that IWF does have a safe borders petition. You can go to IWF.org. And it, it is that balance of how can we um, have a good legal immigration system, but also protect our border. And I just want to say, Anna, to you, um, thank you for your hard work on this. It's you, as you laid out there so well, it's you're dealing with people from those who have crossed the border, um, some with asylum claims, some without um, the the trauma that many of them go through. Then you have the border patrol agents. And then it's knowing what it's like for people once they are released into the country and what potentially can mean for the communities and then the bad actors who are here. There's so much that's wrapped up in all of this from a human perspective. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is not only do you know the issue well, but you cover it so well. So thank you so much for your work on this issue and also for joining us on She Thinks. We appreciate it. Thank you, Beverly. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode. If you did enjoy it, please do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching. 